This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. And by Tidewater Heating and Air Conditioning, servicing all major brands with highly trained technicians who are the best the industry has to offer. Serving Wilmington and surrounding communities for more than 40 years. Learn more at TidewaterAC.com. Welcome to another episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, a podcast from Star News Media. I am your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington, North Carolina. When you're not listening to me talk about history on this podcast, you can read my byline on coverage of the city, the local film and television industry, and my weekly TV Hunter column. This week, we're going to grab our shovel and dig into another story from the Cape Fear history books of persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures. As always, I'm going to share with you the story as it has been passed down through history and told through legend. And then I'm going to bring in someone from the community with knowledge of our tale to discuss the impact of the story on the region and whether or not history can be trusted. So settle in for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed as I share with you the story of Nancy Martin, the girl in the barrel. The act of choosing one's own final resting place, or the way in which they would like to be cared for after death, is a sacred and intimate decision, one that in many ways requires a reconciliation with the notion of our own mortality. It's a heavy concept for sure, but for many people, the choice of what happens to us after death is among the most important we get to make while we're among the living. Nancy Martin and her brother John were not afforded such a choice. Life, tragedy, and circumstance had other plans. Born in May 1833, Nance, as her family had nicknamed her, was 24 years old when most tellings of her story say she and John joined their father, Silas Martin, on a trip bound for Cuba in the spring of 1857. The vessel was carrying shipments from the family's lumber business to the Caribbean island, and with members of his family on board, Captain Martin would still have a piece of home with him on the long journey. The voyage was uneventful until early May, when Nancy became ill, and the battering of the ship on the high seas did nothing to calm her sickness. By the time the ship reached Cuba and a doctor could be consulted, it was too late. Just a few days later, on May 25th, she was gone. Heartbroken, Silas and John wrestled with what to do with their beloved Nance. Silas knew leaving her behind to be buried in Cuba or at sea were options for which his wife Margaret would never forgive him. So they came up with a plan. To preserve her body from decomposition so she could be brought home and given a proper burial in the family's plot, they seated her in a chair and lowered her into an empty barrel. They filled it with rum, whiskey, and other alcohol, and then they sealed it shut. With Nancy secured below deck, the trip continued on for weeks, but tragedy still had its sights set on the Martin family. In September, just four months after the loss of his sister, John is said to have washed overboard when the ship unexpectedly met a terrible storm in the night. He was never seen again. Captain Martin had left home with two of his children in tow. He returned home that fall to his wife Margaret with nothing but stories of tragedy. The couple never opened the barrel that carried their daughter home to Wilmington. Instead, they buried the massive cask in Oakdale Cemetery off 15th Street. Today, 
The Martin family plot blends in with the hundreds that surround it. On the square plot's tall obelisk, the family's names are inscribed. Below John's name is the phrase, Lost at Sea. But for those who visit the plot today, one thing does stand out as unique. In the soil above where Nancy was buried, two pieces of granite are etched into logs of wood and braced together in the form of a cross. On it, a single word, Nance, marks the final resting place of the girl in the barrel. Now joining me is Eric Cozen, the superintendent of Oakdale Cemetery here in Wilmington. Eric has overseen Oakdale since 2002 and says that he knows just about every corner of the cemetery. Thank you so much for joining me today, Eric. It's a great pleasure to be here today. Now, I've shared with our listeners the story of Nancy Martin, but you say that through your own research and your time at Oakdale, you've learned more about what might have actually happened to Nancy and her brother all the way back in 1857. So what can you tell me about how history has kind of changed? the story of the Martin family and what you found yourself? Well, you know, when I first got there, the story was told that the um, uh, father was actually the captain of the boat. Him and his son and his daughter went on a, on a world voyage. Um, unfortunately, along the voyage, uh, Nancy had died. Uh, he did not want to perform a burial at sea, so him and, and the uh, uh, son had decided to go ahead and uh, place a chair in a cask that they had just received at another port, uh, tied her into the chair um, and put her into this ca- into this cask and then refilled it with some sort of spiritus liquor. Um, they then decided to continue to sail on uh, because of due to contracts and things like that that they had. Unfortunately, about a couple weeks later, um, as they went to um, relieve his son of his overnight duties, he was nowhere to be found on the ship. And and supposedly had washed uh, overboard either d- during a rogue wave or something to the effect, but he was nowhere to be found on the ship. Uh, that story had probably st- um, stood the test of time for at least 50 to 60 years. Started doing a little bit of research um, you know, within our archives and, and things of that nature, and I found something quite interesting because I actually found the, the original burial permit um, for Nancy Martin. And when I found that permit, I decided to go into the archives of the Star News and, uh, and find um, some really interesting information. And the information that I came across was the simple fact that um, the father was never the captain. It was actually the son who was the captain. Uh, Dad had a business of running lumber um, along with another uh, family here in town known as the Kidders. And they were businessmen together. And they were running uh, lumber back and forth uh, from Wilmington to Carden- uh, Cardenas, Cuba. And unfortunately, on one of the voyages, I guess at some point, Nancy accompanied her brother uh, down there for the short, I guess it's about a four or five day sail um, down there. And she had fallen ill. And she actually dies uh, down there in Cardenas, Cuba. And don't really know exactly what she was contained in. Um, still do think that it, it was possibly some sort of spiritist liquor um, keg that she was in in order to bring her back. Um, that sail, again, was five days. She was actually buried on June 2nd of 1857, um, and she dies on actually May 25th. So it took about five or six days for her to return here, and then she was interred uh, in Oakdale Cemetery, where she is today. The story then continues into September, um, where the son, again, was still running the family business and taking these loads um, to and from Wilmington to Cardenas, Cuba. And when he leaves out in September of, of 1857, he had no idea that he was uh, uh, driving his boat directly into a Cat 2 hurricane. Um, his boat uh, uh, 
disappeared within this this storm um, and was not recovered or at least found until a couple months later around November of 1857 with no survivors. Wow. So there is a little bit of, uh, you know, tinkering as people retell this story over time in terms of uh, what happened to Nancy and, and her brother John. Uh, because, you know, a lot of history books that, that I came across when researching this story do have it as kind of one contained journey that, uh, you know, she set sail with her brother and her father and then she dies in May. And then, you know, as they're making their way back, he, he dies as well or gets washed overboard. So, uh, it, 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 you know, in actuality, according to... To, to your own research that it is um, it was actually two separate kind of trips um, that that you know kind of took the lives of these two children well I had two aha moments <laughs> uh, one was the burial primitive of Nancy Martin yeah. which you know proved that she dies in Cardenas Cuba on May 25th and she was buried on June 1st so it shows that there was at least a five-day situation that took place there um, between her death and her actual burial um, the other aha moment that I had was again through the star newspapers um, they actually used to sh- list the manifests of when ships were leaving mm-hmm. and also coming back and so his ship was listed in September of 1857 as departing out um, but then as you read into the papers it what you know after that storm, what was quite interesting is that days after the, the hurricane had passed, there were numerous reports of ships being floating adrift out in the ocean just off our coast. Masts broken. There were a lot of um, survivors and there were a lot of rescues that took place as ships were coming in and out of the port city here. Um, but his boat was never to be found. And it wasn't until about latter part of October slash November, beginning of November, that his boat was actually found. And it was written about that in the paper. But of such a small little excerpt you probably would have just read right over it. Um, so how has her story resonated with people who visit the cemetery of the past 160 years? It's just the uniqueness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, people love those those types of stories and that type of history. She's the, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, two graves within the cemetery that are probably the, the most, most visited graves um, within Oakdale. And she's, you know, it, it's running either top one or top two. Yeah, Flip absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and she has, uh, you know, the the. the cross headstone as well that is uh is is kind of unique and and i would imagine invites people to come and at least see it when they come by it does you know it's it's what they call the old rustic cross it just basically just bears her her nickname of nance Mm -hmm. um and so it's just very simple and very quaint and uh and there's 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 that um you know as you mentioned the uniqueness the the mysterious factor of of just her kind of having that peculiar burial um you know has there ever been any testing as to you know i guess you could call it the integrity of her unusual kind of burial no there hasn't been any testing but it does state on her burial permit right on the top page um that there was some sort of structure built out of out of block and stone okay um you know we are able to kind of probe um these grave sites that's how we have a tendency to locate some people mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a little bit interesting what I do probe out there. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily your, your general size of, um, of what a grave covering would be. Yeah. So it can be a little bit wider. Um, it's not any longer, but it could be something a little bit more square than it is rectangle. Okay. So it's there's not really any way to know if how she was buried was kind of held together, but it's still, it seems like they prepared a little bit, at least according to the They the did permit. something. They did something. Um, all right. Now, um, you know, 
is Oakdale has been uh, you know such a staple of this community because it has been here for so long. Um, it has other very famous and you know uh, very famous burials that bring people in and kind of attract those people who do have fascinations with history. Um, there's there's also a number of burials for people who were victims of uh, a yellow fever that hit in um, in 1862. If I'm not uh, if I'm not if I'm correct, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, you said there was a little bit of um, you know history that there as well it's it's another story that um that was told to me when i arrived there or actually i started reading and and just started to try to learn you know the property um and some of the stories and stuff along that went with it and there were stories that was there were mass um graves that were opened up uh, basically just large pits and when the people had passed that they were laid there to rest and then covered up sounded like an interesting story Mm -hmm. um but the truth of it really kind of came to be when i was charged to computerize our records Mm-hmm. Our records before I got there were actually done almost like the Dewey Decimal System, card catalog system. Wow. So if any of y'all remember going to the library, <laughs> looking up your, your books there, each of the individuals that we have buried in the cemetery all have a three by five index card with their information, their vital information that was on there. And so when we computerized our records, we had to go through all of those records. And so, you know, nearly 30,000 three by five cards later, as we were doing that, I soon realized that the yellow fever situation was not what was told before. And so I soon found out that, and again, it was another aha moment um, for me as we were kind of computerizing these things that, you know, each day we had different numbers of barrels that were coming in there. So, you know, it started out really slowly in the beginning of September of eight, uh, of 1862, but then the height of it kind of came into October of 1862, where we were receiving anywhere from 10 to 15 bodies a day. Wow. Now, the epidemic actually lasts from September, roughly about September 10th, all the way through about Thanksgiving. So here we have almost three months worth of time. So we're not going to be opening up large pits for Mm -hmm. these bodies. They're going to be individual burials. And so what I really did was I got out a piece of graph paper because in the location where they're buried in, we had them categorized or at least recorded through row numbers and grave numbers. And so basic, simple piece of graph paper started realizing that as I was dotting them as the dates were going on, that, you know, these burials were taking in place in clusters okay. um, and sometimes entire families were wiped out so you know one dad would be burying a mom the next dad could be burying two children with the mom mm-hmm. and dad etc so we have some graves out there that could be three to four people deep as the families were unfortunately dying from this this horrific disease so uh-huh. that's kind of um, how history kind of can play games with you when you start doing some other different types of recording methods and so forth. And then you just kind of have to, um, you know, history being uh, almost kind of corrected by a bunch of index cards is probably surprising to you as you're going through it. I am not in the business of rewriting history, but it's just, it's interesting how things can be developed after time. Absolutely. Uh, especially as it's passed down through conversation. Exactly. Well. <laughs> um, and, you know, one more final one that I think a lot of people know. Um, there is a, a beloved canine that's that's buried out in Oakdale Cemetery uh, who, who died in a, in a fire, correct? That is correct. Um, you know, that was another uh, situation that took place where a large fire had uh, opened up in downtown Wilmington. And there was a gentleman there, Captain Ellerbrock, who, um, you know, most of the people at the time were, were typical volunteers. Yeah. And they were 
if, if you were an able body, that you were basically a volunteer fireman at the time. So he was well known along the docks and this fire had broken out and people started making their way up towards this, this unfortunate situation. And he was very well known around town with him and his dog boss. Um, when this fire had broken out, he had made his way up there. And the story was told is that um, he went in to assist and he basically handed his dog off to one of the bystanders just watching this fire take place. And as people were trying to remove items out of this burning building before they caught fire, um, was doing what they were best they could do. Unfortunately, shortly after he enters into this building, the building started to collapse. Um, and it really just kind of collapsed on top of him. And at that point in time, the dog probably heard or saw what was taking place and basically broke leash and ran into the fire to save his master. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, once the fire was extinguished and so forth, uh, people soon realized that um, uh, Captain Ellerbrock had unfortunately dies as a result of a timber falling on top of him, and they soon realized that his dog, Boss, actually was able to locate him within this, this engulfment and was actually by his side uh, mm-hmm. when it happened. And legend says that you know they, they, they noticed that there were um, pulls of cloth in his mouth as he was trying to pull his master f- free out of this fire. Um, so with that being said, they, um, the citizens of Wilmington, as well as some of the churches, uh, decided to go ahead and, and um, uh, secure a burial location for Captain Ellerbrock and his dog, Boss. And, and on the, and I, I, you know, I went in and walked around Oakdale for a, a good while, you know, kind of researching the story and everything. And, uh, and, and you can see, you know, on the, the headstone, there is a, what looks like a sleeping dog. Yes. Um, with yeah, if, that. if you look on the front, it has Captain Ellerbrock's information. And it's quite eloquent because, you know, it says that the citizens of Wilmington kind of erected this in, in his memory. Mm-hmm. And then on the back side of it, you have this wonderful boss relief of a dog. And it just says basically just very simple, faithful unto death. And he was indeed. He was. And I think that's why people probably responded to it so much and, and wanted to kind of preserve them in that way. Exactly. Uh, that's a, you know, a sad, but, but honestly a little heartwarming story only because, you know, as, as history kind of does rewrite certain stories, it sounds like that one was pretty well remembered. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us and talking about Oakdale. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the story of Nancy Martin. Thank you so much for joining me. Check back next Thursday for a new episode where we will explore another tale from the history books. Until then, we want to hear from you, the listener, about what story you think we should cover on a future episode. Be sure to email us your favorite local tale to capefearunearthed at gmail.com. The final episode this season is going to be a reader-submitted topic, and it could be yours. Also, be sure to share your thoughts on this week's episode on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearth. You can also join our Facebook group, where I will be posting extra content like pictures pertaining to each week's episode and more as the season progresses. This week, I'm going to share a picture of the actual 1857 burial permit for Nancy Martin that Eric Cozen mentioned in our interview. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Finally, you can find a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes. Cape Fear Unearthed was written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com and on Twitter at Hunter Ingram SN. Until next week, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you. you.